Good evening, everyone. Um, as we uh, get ready now for the Christmas uh, week coming up, we, we want to remember that Christmas isn't just about getting stuff. It, it's really a love story about a God uh, who fell in love with the notion of sharing his life. And our key text tonight is from John 3.16, celebrated passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. What he's saying is Jesus was the first ever Christmas present. <laughs> that those who believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, when, it, when a person gets to a place where they have uh, made the decision that they're convinced about the existence of God, and um, that person pushes past some of the doubts that might linger and start moving in an openness and an open posture in the heart. It's amazing how God meets that person and begins to fill them with what Paul called the gift of faith. And whenever the gift of faith dawns in you, the scripture says it gives substance to the things you had only hoped for. And that it gives evidence to the things you don't see. And there's a kind of knowing in the arena of faith that happens in your heart. Now, now admittedly, there's probably a lot more unknowing than there is knowing. But there is some knowing. And uh, one of the things that we know by instinct when the faith of God, his gift dawns in our hearts, is that somehow instinctively we know that God is good. And we also know somehow in the deepest part of our hearts that he's loving, that God is love. And um, uh, Judeo-Christian theology really affirms that God is good by virtue of the fact that he created the world, created the universe. Um, we believe that God was whole and complete, that he needed nothing, and that he filled all and was all, and before creation, everything that existed was him. <laughs> he was everything. And, and he decided, though, to create. And in creation, what he's really doing is he's making something that's not himself. He's making something that's not God. You are not God. I am not God. And yet he creates us. And, and he's with us. He might even be in us, but we are not God. He created something that's not him. And in a sense, in order to do that, he had to sort of withdraw in order to create places where it wasn't him. And when he does that, he basically creates what we call the other. Someone other than ourselves, something other than ourselves. And, and in doing that, he's making room, he's allowing uh, for something other than himself. This is where we get the notion that he is good. Goodness implies being solicitous, implies showing favor, and you only do that to the other. In a sense, what's happening here is that we see in created order the fact that we get to experience life and enjoy life. This is evidence of God's goodness in motion. Uh, plus we discover that he loves what he created and he particularly loves, according to the story, that we're part of the human race, who according to the biblical record, the human beings that were created were created to be in his image. The Latin phrase is imago Dei, beautiful little phrase. It means that we're actually imaged from God. 
And not only were we created to be in his image, but also in his likeness. He wanted us to act like him so that if God were, were an animal, <laughs> he'd look like us. He'd act like us. So that was his dream that we would participate in this creative gesture that he was doing and bringing things to good because God is good. Now, it immediately, immediately causes us to, to think about why would God love us? Or maybe even better said, how does God love us? I mean, we use the word love. We use it in all kinds of contexts, you know. I love my mom. I love Chris, Christmas cookies. Uh, I love my dog. I love my wife. I love my country, right? And hopefully you don't love your wife. You have to love your dog, you know, <laughs> or your mom like cookies. Um, in other words, the point is all loves are not created equal, yeah. right? And so... To capture the essence of what God's love was like, using that word, uh, the writers of the New Testament, they seized an obscure Greek word. And it was a word that was kind of not really, um, didn't have a lot of usage in the day. And it was a little vague. But they seized it and they began to use it to just, and recast it to define it as the kind of love that God has for human beings. And you've heard the word, if you've been in, in Christian circles for a while, it's the Greek word agape. And what simply defined agape means, it's the kind of love that's more based on the person loving than it is on the person being loved. So it's, it's this kind of love that comes out of a person toward another, not because that person pulled it out of us, but because we chose to place that love on that person. And so because it's that kind of love, agape is, is, is called unconditional. Notice without conditions. It's not based on the conditions of the person being loved. It's based on the one who is loving, right? And so it's unmerited. And because it's unconditional, unmerited, it's a bit incautious, kind of reckless even. This notion, it's reckless because it sets value on people irrespective of how the people act or their intrinsic value, right? It, it's a love that's sort of rumored in a mom and a dad, you know, because mom and dads kind of love their kids no matter who they are. But, but, it, but th this kind of love that's agape, even though it's rumored in that, it's, it's without limits. And it's deathless. It never stops. And, and, and that's weird for us because we live in a world where, you know, we kind of, we, we value certain virtues. And if you possess them, you're kind of worthy of love. And if you don't possess them, in, in a way, it's kind of wrong to love you. I mean, that's kind of the world in which we live. <laughs> Human culture is not built on agape. It's built on performance. And uh, so we live in a kind of world of retribution, right? So if you, if you are good, you get good. If you are bad, you get bad. Naughty or nice, right? If you're beautiful, you get privileged. If you're not beautiful, you don't. And it doesn't take long for any of us to figure out as we're growing out, growing up that if we don't watch our P's and Q's, that we can get in trouble pretty quickly and we won't get ahead. And our friendships even, we find out over time, are based on performance because we're treated based on how we act or based on how we look or based on how we come across. And we go to schools where they sort of reward or reject us based on performance, Right? Or we go to the workforce and we're rewarded or we're punished or re based on our performance. This world of performance is not a reflection of agape. It's not, that's why it's kind of strange for us. Because agape is this, again, basically this notion of a love that's based on the one who is loving, not on the one that's being loved. It's a love that's based on the nature of the person loving, and that is God. And God basically has chosen to set value and preciousness on you. To lock himself into your face and to throw away the key. He just flat loves people. There's a, that's where our text comes from. For God so loved the world 
that he gives Jesus. I mean, this, this reckless kind of love has no strings attached to it. It's just this impulse that's in God that we see in the creation and we see in the story that we follow in the Christmas story. When I go fishing, and I bet those of you that go fishing, you, you always go fishing with strings attached, right? You put the little whatever on there, you know the fish like it, but you know you're trying to get the fish to go for what it likes only to hook the fish and pull it into your little world, right? So you can do with it as you please, right? Well, see, when God goes fishing for humanity, he goes fishing without strings attached. He just throws the bait in, <laughs> just recklessly, incautiously. And, and the gift that he gives us is Jesus, and Jesus freely jumps in and steps into our context and somehow trying to communicate to us that we are treasures to God, that somehow he, he's wild about us. Here's a cool verse in Zephaniah. It's only a small book. You might want to read it in case you run into him in eternity. You can tell him you read his book, but, you know, right? I mean, anyway. Uh, so here's what it says. The Lord your God is in the midst of you, a mighty one, a savior who saves, and he will rejoice over you with joy. I was reading this today, and I thought of, if any of you are football fans, you know that sometimes you get uh, in trouble for excessive celebration with a touchdown. <laughs> I thought, you know, I'm telling you, I, this, this verse is suggesting that God is like going, like doing flips. There's this notion of sheer joy over us. And then it says, he will rest in silent satisfaction and in his love, he will be silent and make no mention of past sins or even recall them. He will exult over you with singing. This is, this is the description of the God of scripture. And, and you've got to ask, who is this God? What if, I mean, what if, what if any of this is true? <laughs> that he's actually singing over you. You know, like those of us that have kids, you know, sometimes you'll sing over them. You know, just you get this little joy thing going. What if God literally in his heart sings over you? There's a verse in Malachi that says whenever we talk about him, he writes it down in a book. <laughs> it's like this sweet thrill of his heart, that somehow you and I capture him. We interest him. Um, this is certainly not the God of the pagans. I mean, the pagan gods were, they, they demanded sacrifice, they demanded appeasement and uh, from mere mortals. And they were always portrayed as sort of seeing human beings as nuisance creatures, you know, kind of like bugs. And uh, uh, maybe we had the value of bees, you know, produce a little honey, but, uh, you know, nobody wants a bee flying around them, so the gods are always displays a little bit of annoyed with human beings. And killing a bee carries no sense of guilt, right? And so the gods in the minds of the ancients would kill for no reason at all, just because they wanted to. And the majority of the, the sort of the thrust of the religion of the ancient world was, you know, just lay low. <laughs> just do what you're supposed to do. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, what the gods demand, a little bit of animal sacrifice here and there, and, and maybe a little bit of appropriate praise, and then just sort of hope that, that the gods don't get all jacked up and, uh, you know, come out smiting that year. You know, with some kind of an earthquake or volcano or something like that. That was kind of the view. The whole religious enterprise was based on fear and based on performance. And so in the midst of that, here comes Jesus Christ. And here comes the whole notion of a God who actually cares about humans. 
Not only cares, but it's like it's his single focus. It isn't like he's just making all of creation run and then every once in a while peeking toward earth. I mean, there's this notion that he's kind of wild about us and somehow in his infiniteness all at the same time. And we have these verses like Psalm 139 that really, it's really an unbelievable text. I mean, it's like, no way. Not really? No. It's just, it, some of these texts, when you talk about stuff, stuff like this, it's like, looking, it's like looking at the sun. You really can't, you can't look at it very much. You know, you just can't. You can't stare at the sun. You, your eyes are not made to stare at it. Our heart, we can't quite grasp. It's an ungraspable love. It's ineffable. In other words, it's, you're not able to really even describe it. All you can really do is sort of look at the results and live in the light of it. You know, try to grasp how you can, this light can help us see our world more effectively. So when we take glimpses of some of these texts, it's like looking at the sun. It's like, whoa. I mean, re- really? All right, listen to it. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit. You know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with everything, all my ways. Before there's a word in my mouth, you already know it completely. You hem me in behind it before you have laid your hand upon me. Now, this notion of laying hands was not the, it was not the pagan God slapping you. It was always the hand to impart blessing. You read about the laying out of hands. It was always to impart something. And so the psalmist is saying, you know everything about me, and instead of slapping me, you want to bless me. And I know all about me, and if I were you, I would kill me. Such knowledge, it's too wonderful. It's like, look at that. It's too wonderful for me. It's, it's too lofty for me to attain. I can only catch a moment glimpse of it. And, and then he goes on later in the text in verse 15. He says, my frame wasn't hidden for you when I was in my mom, woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious are your thoughts, oh God, talking about to me, how vast is the sum of them? Would I count, if were I to count them, how many times do you think about me? They would outnumber the grains of sand. Ever count sand? Now just get a cup and count it. It's going to take you all day for a cup. And he's saying, you think about me more than there are grains of sand in the world. You think about me, which means he never stops. He never stops. And then when I awake, <laughs> you're still there. I'm, I'm still with you. Again, when you think these thoughts, the first thought would be, this is paralyzing because how could you see this way and still love me? But the biblical texts give this sense that God has a longing for us. I remember when I was just first came to Christ and I, I was learning about some of these things and learning about what worship was and learning about trying to walk and more in God's presence, and, and I was, I used to go every morning, we used to go to school and have little Bible studies, and this particular morning I'd gotten up, was too late, didn't get to Bible study, didn't really pray, had a test that morning, and just went to the test, I was all jammed up, and it was about, it was right about lunchtime, I was on my way to lunch, it was a little afternoon when we, when I got, my period was to do, crazy thought. Not only do the biblical texts give us the sense that God is longing to be with us, 
it, it implies that he never stops longing for us. No matter how we act, <laughs> no matter how we behave, it's just unconditional. It's this, it, it means that there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Because it's not about what you do or didn't do. It's about who he is. He, this means, I mean, he will never love you more or less if you never came back to church. He won't love you more if you keep coming to church. Uh, if you never tithe, God loves you. If you gave all your money away, God doesn't love you more. Right? If, 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 uh, if you never thought about missions, God will still love you. If you became a career missionary, God doesn't love you more. He just loves us. Now, I'm not saying that you can't grieve him. You can grieve God. And you can tick him off a little. And how many know your parents loved you the best they knew how? But how many know that your parents got a little ticked off at you once in a while, right? Uh, it, it's just the way it is. It, 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 the fact, though, in spite of that, he's overwhelmed by the love he has for us. Even though we grieve him on occasion, he has this overwhelming kind of love. And he embraces the pain that we cause. <laughs> I don't know. You know, he loves us despite the pain we cause him. Sometimes I, you know, when you read about Jesus, when he tells Thomas, and he puts out, when Thomas says, I don't believe, and Jesus said, you need to believe, and he put out his hand, and he said, put your finger into my hand, and he showed him, I put your hand into my side. And when I hear about that story, I think to myself, okay, he has a resurrected body. Is it possible that Jesus, who was God before he came to the planet, and he has wrapped himself in human flesh, and he will never leave that. He'll forever be human. The limitedness of that. And not only that, it's not a healed body. I mean, I wonder if, I wonder if he'll be in pain forever. Sidebar story. My uh, kids, when we were living in Wisconsin, we'd come down to St. Louis because girls from St. Louis, and we'd come down usually, you know, in the springtime, Marchish, which was much, much warmer in St. Louis than it was in Wisconsin because Wisconsin still be 10 below zero. And we'd come to St. Louis, and it would be in the 40s and 50s, right, in March, not as warm as down here. And so when we come, you know, I tell the kids because you know, every time you change temperatures like that, if you don't watch out, you get a cold pretty easily. And so I tell them, listen, guys, it's going to feel really warm to you, but you got to keep your coats on. You know, you just got to keep your coats on. You go out in and outside, kind of, you got to keep your coats on. Okay, okay, dad, okay. You know, they're little guys. And so one, you know, one of the times we had done that, that we had just gotten in there, got the stuff all unloaded. Before I know it, I'm looking out, and they're running outside playing in their shirts. You know, and it's, it's like 40 degrees. I was freezing. And, and I got so mad. I said, get in here, you two, <laughs> Robert and Michael. Get in here right now. And I kind of got this thing going. But my anger wasn't because they dared to disobey me. It was about that. My anger was I don't want them to get sick. And I, in that moment, I had this kind of insight, this little thought that came. I really believe it was the Holy Spirit, these little weird ways that he speaks to me. It was That's how I get mad at you. He's not mad at us because he's God and we've offended his ego. The only reason he gets grieved is because we're participating in something that's going to make us less. And he sees that our potential won't be reached and that we're being paled and hurt and it grieves him. 
It's a very different kind of thing than what you would think. Some of us have the pagan God in mind when we think about God. The bottom line is God is just wild about you. He is hopelessly in love with you, period. And he has chosen you. How many of you know how much it hurts not to be chosen? Right? How many of you were not very good at sports when you were younger? Yes, I feel your pain. I was one of those kids that, you know, when they were picking people, well, my dad was, a, 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 <laughs> this is, I'm telling you home stories tonight. My dad, my dad was a Turkish guy, Turkish physician, who never played American sports. He never taught me anything. And so I was horrible. I, if you probably taught me, I'd be horrible anyway. I was just, I'm, I have no physical intelligence. Anyway, uh, so, you know, I'm the kid. I'm the kid. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the, I had a little bit of a case of asthma, so I couldn't really run much. And I was the kid that always was, you know, they'd line us up against the wall, you know, for, I hated that, for, uh, Fayed, and they and they didn't start picking, and I knew they would never pick me. I mean, I mean, it got down where everybody gets picked, and it's me and the rather large girl. And and I'm not kidding you. I one time they said, uh, "You take Gunger." No, you take Gunger. No, you take her. I'll take the fat girl. You take Gunger. It was horrible. <laughs> well, God picked me. <laughs> what's beautiful if you never get this right he's still crazy about you and he loves you and, and, and he's always in hot pursuit of you and me in Revelations 3 and 20 he, he declares it this is after the resurrection here I am he says here, here I am I stand at the door and I knock I'm pursuing you I'm pursuing you I'm at your heart I'm knocking on your door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. We'll hang because I love you. See, there are hundreds of stories here tonight of how God has pursued individuals through all kinds of chains of events, sometimes some of you over years of time. Why? Because he flat loves you. Even when you run from him, the psalmist said, even if I flee from you, when I get there, your hand's still reaching out to grab me. <laughs> Luther called God the holy hound of heaven. <laughs> called him a dog. <laughs> Not really. In other words, what he was trying to say was God is relentless. That, that, that somehow he's always on task of chasing you. That's our God. This is a quote from uh, J.I. Packer. He's a theologian. He's still alive. It subs all this up. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. Here's what he says. What matters supremely, therefore is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact that underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me. And no moment, therefore, when his care falters. This is momentous knowledge. There is unspeakable comfort, the sort of comfort that energizes. God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly Realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me. 
so that no discovery now can ever disillusion him about me in the way that I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. There is certainly great cause for humility in the thought that he sees all the twisted things about me that my fellow men do not see and that he sees more corruption in me than that which I see in myself. There is, however, equally great incentive to worship and love God in the thought that for some unfathomable reason, he wants me as his friend and desires to be my friend and has given his son to die for me in order to realize this purpose. Sweet quote! If you email me, I'll send you that. See, getting this kind of thought inside you is mission critical. If you're unsure about this, you'll always have a kind of a cloud over you. You know, you know like if, if I think I offend, if I, like if I felt I offended one of you and I saw you at the mall or something, what would be the natural inclination? You say, well, to go and talk about it. No, I'd go, I'd go into the store <laughs> because I, I, I feel so uncertain. Have I really offended you? I mean, it's a little messy. I mean, maybe you didn't notice it. Maybe I did offend you. And Maybe you're different. I'm not like that. I'm, I'm the hide guy. I want to pull away. Some of us do that with God. Just without realizing, we have this kind of cloud of unknowing. It's like the pig pen character from Charlie Brown. You know, that he's always walking. It's like this little cloud. It's like we have this cloud over us. And we kind of feel like just halfway, like God must be mad at me. And we interpret the world like that. And what ends up happening, if we don't realize, is that, 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 that somehow it hurts our capacity to be fully ourselves. And if we can ever wrestle with this sunlight thought that you're for me, you're thinking of me, you're reaching out to me, that, that, that even, even, even if I grieved you, you're welcoming me into your presence right now and, and I belong to you and you're pursuing me, that somehow that, that opens us up to become more fully human and, and to be everything he wants us to be. This is, how, this is how we prepare ourselves to even make a, be a benefit to anybody because the bottom line is, I love Henry now and he, he says that, that we're all wounded healers and what he means by that is, is that somehow, you know, it's like we've been cut and bruised and our bones have been broken because of life, like everybody, all of us. Life is hard. We're in a fallen world. This is not Eden. Right? And because life is hard and there's a fall where we get scrapes and cuts and broken bones, and before I can move toward you to help you, I've got to get bandaged a little. And I've got to set my own bones, you know, in order for me to move toward your brokenness. I've got to make sure that, that I redress my bandages and I redress. I, I'm a wounded healer. And if I don't attend to myself, I'll get gangrene, I'll die before I help many people. So I've got to attend to myself. And the way that we attend to ourselves, I really believe, is that by, by, by facing the fact that we all have our own sense of, of um, loneliness, and that we have all, our, all of us have our own sense of a need for acceptance, that we all have our own sense of a need for someone to pay attention to us, to applaud us, to somehow get past the senses of inadequacy. And, and if, 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 if I don't take that to a God who loves and let his kindness assuage that and put ointment on that. What I'll do is I'll go to others to try to get them to assuage that. And so in other words, I'm caring for you because I want to feel better about myself. I'm caring for you because I'm thinking somehow am I caring for you, you'll fix me. And all of a sudden we have this perverted kind of ministry that's really just using people to try to deal with the pain of our own souls 
And so it's absolutely critical. This issue of the love of God, this is our bandage. There's healing here. There's energy here. (laughs) That's why John puts it so beautifully. We love because he first loved us. That somehow the only way that we can can love people rightly or love God is when we know how much he loves us. When we dare to look at that sun, even if it's just for a minute, and stare at those ideas just for a minute, bring them into our into our personal thought life and our prayer life. We can capture it. All of a sudden, we're living in the light of it. And we're loving well. If you're not loving well, it's because you've forgotten God loves you. So, Christmas, it's really about remembering God so loved me and the world that he gave Jesus. It's this outrageous love for us is what the Christmas story is all about. And so, We're trusting you're going to have yourself a merry 